How you doing? Hey, Val. How you doing? Um, you know what? I am hanging in there. It is a beautiful day. So we um, actually met years ago. We're not going to go into how many. Probably in <laughs> New York. Probably at a Niagara something or um, up there in the Catskills or I don't even remember. But um, why don't you tell people like who you are and then we'll get into what you do. Okay, so I just want to answer you to that. Yes, we met up in the Catskills in that moldy old hotel that had the best conference ever. But let me get into who I am. My name is Skip. Um, My first name is Helen. I do not use it. I am traumatized. My grandmother called my name out when I was in trouble, which unfortunately was a lot. And I'm real traumatized by that name. I have visions of a backyard switch coming at me, and I'm too old for that. So when I talk about who I am, I like to start off with where I've been. Okay. Because for me, that makes the most impact. Where I've been, I've been in every system New York City and New York State has to offer. I've been incarcerated. I've been in drug programs. I've been in mental health programs. I've been homeless. I've been in family court. Being involved in all of these traumatic systems basically made me who I am today. Today, I'm a person standing on my own two feet, very unapologetic about where I've come from and the things I've done, but use that lived experiences to inform the work I do, which is advocacy, which is pushing forward that basic idea that I learned when I was a pup just starting to get into the world of peer support. And I was Monet's assistant. That was me just getting into peer support and me just learning about the validity of lived experiences. But I've been working in peer support since 2007. I'm a certified peer and a certified recovery peer advocate. I've progressively moved up on my last position. I was a senior manager of peer services at the New York City Criminal Justice Agency. So I am a staunch advocate of criminal justice reform. I live and breathe criminal justice. So not only do I work in the system as a practitioner, it was about four, I wanna say about four years ago when I realized me working as a peer, that even though I had like a title as peer supervisor in the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene of the great city of New York, I was still invalidated. My thoughts wasn't validated. I couldn't speak up. I was stifled. And it was then that I realized that I still want to keep peer support close to me because it taught me about mutuality and it taught me about sharing of myself with others who are walking the same or similar path. But I kind of realized at that point that where I really wanted to go where I really wanted to go was into the criminal justice system because I've been going back and forth to jail since I was 18. But in all actuality, I'll be 56 this summer. I started going to jail when I was 18. I came home from the last time in my early 40s. I lived on that hamster wheel of recidivism. I went to jail homeless, addicted to drugs. I left out homeless, addicted to drugs. Nobody helped fix or give support to what was wrong. Yeah. You have quite a history and quite a, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I'm so glad you talked to about, cause I say this and people don't quite understand it. Cause I'm not going to use the, 
traditional SAMHSA definition of a peer, because it's a definition that sometimes people don't understand, but what does that mean when you try to operationalize it? Right. But, but you, Mm -hmm. you know, said it exactly like, you know, you're using that lived experiences, those lived experiences that you have had to inform the Mm -hmm. advocacy and the activism and the work that you're doing. That's a peer. Mm -hmm. I mean, it may be something that you have those experiences, but if you're not using them with intention and people don't know you're using them to reform and change and make things better for other people, Mm -hmm. before I get into what you're doing now, because you're off the hamster wheel and you're helping people not get in and stay out of that hamster wheel. Right. But so Mm -hmm. when you were going through all of that, that's, that's, you know, quite a period of time. Were you ever introduced to like another peer, or peer resources, peer, and like where where is it missing? Like something's missing. You know what I'm saying? Never. Um, and I always say that today that if I had met someone like me when I was coming in and out repeatedly, I might not be where I am today. What I did was every year I was either in the penitentiary or as we call throwing bricks at the penitentiary, which means I was gonna get busted sooner or later, or I was just coming home. So it was one of those three. But again, when I talk about that hamster wheel of recidivism, it was hard to get off when you come in and leave out the same way. Parole would always parole me to a shelter. They don't have a problem with that. But I go to a shelter and it's just like a mini jail without the rules and regulations. Oh yeah, we got a 10 o'clock curfew. But other than that, It was just the same thing. There was no support. There was no supportive services. And then the addiction. Now let's talk about recovery for a minute. Let's talk about recovery. Let's be real intentional and talk about recovery. Recovery is not when you want it. It's not when somebody else wants it. It is when you are ready to accept that you too can recover. When I hit my bottom, It was it. It was a wrap. So in 2007, I just took off. Two years later, um, it's a funny story. I was looking for a job. And back then, it wasn't no digital go on LinkedIn or all of that. And indeed, you got the paper and you looked at the help wanted ads. I was looking at the help wanted ads. And this agency was hiring for a peer specialist. I didn't even know what a peer specialist was. But what got me was the copy. It was like, have you been arrested? Have you suffered from a drug addiction? Do you have a mental health diagnosis? Do you wanna help people? And it kind of like drew me in because I had never seen a job posted which felt like they were in my head and everything that I had been going through, they just said right here. And I said, wow, they hired people like that. So I went to this job interview and I'll never forget it was right around the time Michael Jackson died, I think the day of, and I had an interview and they asked me some really pointed and personal questions, but they wanted me to be open and honest and intentional about who I was. And I gave it to them and they hired me. And that was my first job as a peer specialist. And that really was the start, but I still had a ways to go because I've worked a lot of jobs as a peer specialist. Like I've always been a peer specialist, whether I'm doing field work, in-person work, or I'm running a group, I've always been a peer. But as the years went by, my my work, I started having a little bit more responsibilities. Until right. so finally I turn around and I'm a peer supervisor at the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. I'm the mm-hmm. first peer supervisor. Not only that, 
I am speaking more. I am advocating more. I'm getting interviewed by the New York Times. I'm on Good Morning America because I worked on this innovative program called Friendship Benches. Yeah. Oh, I saw that. Yes. I talk about that all the time, by the way. Yes. Yes. I had actually talked to folks in New York uh, years ago when they started that through the Thrive. That was started through New York Thrive, right? Yeah. So I talked to people about uh, this idea because I was really enthralled with this idea that had been taken from Zimbabwe with the grandmas at the benches, helping people in their communities. Um, just be able to talk to somebody that they trusted. These were like cultural brokers, the trusted people in the community mm-hmm. that, um, you know, you could tell mm-hmm. your deepest, darkest to, you know, cause that's your grandma, everybody's grandma. Right. Yeah. And I thought, yeah. yeah, we need more of that in the U S because this idea that people have to come to us, people have to come to the mental health center. I'm not going to come to a mental health center, but I'd sit down and talk to somebody at a bench. I'd sit down and talk to somebody at, um, I wanted to do this in Venice beach, something similar in Venice Mm. beach. We have a, you know, population of folks who are experiencing homelessness. I mean, it's a beach, it's warm all year round. You know, you've got uh, Mm -hmm. uh, all of the people with the, um, with the booths selling all sorts of things. You can get tie dye, you can get sunglasses, Mm -hmm. t-shirts, Arrow red, you know, the whole nine yards of it. So it's a pretty exciting place to be. And, um, but there are people who are struggling there. And I thought that's a great place to put like a friendship bench, but kind of in one of those like uh, booths and do rap and do all sorts of things in, the, in this booth. Exactly. I couldn't get anybody to like buy into it. And I was like, okay, I got to wait until sometimes the time is right. You deliver the message and you deliver yeah. it and deliver it. And then somebody hears it and the time is right. So we were talking more, more recently about friendship bench. And this is the response I got. Well, you know, that's not really for people with serious mental illness. Wow. So, wow. So I want you, I want you, since you, you've done, you've done this work, help me understand anybody wants a friend. Anybody wants somebody to talk to. It doesn't matter your diagnoses. Even you don't even have to have a diagnosis down to talk to someone, right? It doesn't matter your symptomology. If you are Mm. not able to communicate, you know, quote unquote, word salad would be the term. Mm. We could sit, we could sit with that. We don't have to like, that's communicating because if somebody walks up to you, they want to have connection. And that's what it was. At Friendship Ventures, we were about connection. My title was peer supervisor, but I didn't have peers up under me. I had community health health workers Mm -hmm. who Mm -hmm. I trained in peer support. But -hmm. at the end of the thing, it was nothing about the medical model of mental health services. It was about meeting people where they're at and Mm -hmm. literally meeting people where they're at. And when I used to talk about Friendship Ventures, I'll say this. How many times have you gone somewhere for some help or assistance and you had to do an intake and in the intake, they asked you every intrusive question known to men and you answered all of them. And then at the end, they're like, okay, but well, we can help you with this, but we can't help you with this, but we're going to refer you to another agency. Then you go to the next agency and you do it all over again yes. and you rinse and repeat. The beauty about friendship benches is number one, we're meeting people where they're at. So we're out on the street. We didn't see anybody in the office. We had desk space somewhere so we can put in our little commentary or something like that. But we didn't see nobody in the office. We're meeting you where you're at. So we're down at the Staten Island Ferry. Uh, we're, if we're up in Harlem, but we're in South Bronx. Anywhere we are, we have the ability to walk up to you and say, how are you doing? 
and say it with a smile and let you know genuinely that we're really interested in hearing what you have to say. And then mm -hmm. we strike up a conversation. And in that conversation, if certain things come up, I have the ability right there, whether we're sitting on a park bench, whether we're sitting on a corner, whether we're sitting in the gutter, I have the ability to offer you support and resources right then and there. You don't have to come into an office. I don't need to know your name. I don't need to know your social security number. And I don't need to know your mother's last name. I just want to have a conversation with you. And if something comes up, I have resources to give you. You can keep in touch with me if you want to give me your name. That's fine. You don't have to. But I can help you right where we stand. And where people are is in the community. That's right. That's right. We They're do not live in systems. Go. We don't yeah. live in systems. We live in community. Yeah. Yes. And, and oh. we are in the community. Right. Walking around, handing out information, asking you how you doing. And then if you come up with something, we're not telling you what to do because, again, this is built on a basis of peer support. And you know as peers, we don't tell nobody what to do. We mm -hmm. help you with decision making. We help you with problem solving. We help you lay out everything from A to B. Sometimes all it takes is a listening ear. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. it. A lot of times people have the solution inside. Yeah, They just got to work it out. They got to talk it out. They got to go left with it. They got to go right with it. They got to mull it over in their head. And a lot of times it's just having someone that could just hear me as I work this out. No, I'm not asking you for advice, but I just need to talk about what's going on with me and talk about my little options and figure out which option is best for me. But I got to talk this out. Yeah. Doctors don't want to take the time to do that. And that was the basis that Friendship Benches was started because in Zimbabwe, you have such a big population, but you don't have too many certified clinical doctors. So mm -hmm. someone came up with the bright idea. If we put a bench out there and we staff it with grandmothers and we teach the grandmothers how to talk, how to listen, that half of the people trying to get in the door to see a doctor had their issues and problems alleviated just by sitting there talking. Right, right. And, and that was the beauty of it all. But I can say when I was out there on the street and I started getting educated about my particular version of substance abuse, because nobody has this version but me. The one thing I learned about was triggers. Mm. More intentionally, my triggers. Because when I went through NA and all of that, I listened, I heard what they said. I can't keep it, but I need to gain more of it. And I need to help as many people along the way. And mm. that's when I started becoming an advocate for those with lived experience, for those who are criminal justice, justice impacted. The same way I spoke up for those who have mental illnesses, the same way I spoke up for those who have an addiction. I took all of that and put that also on a criminal justice system. And like I told people, you cannot tell me, Mrs. Skipper's baby daughter, Helen, that I can't do anything. You can't tell me I can't do anything because I'm an ex-addict, because I have a mental illness, or because I've been in jail. You can't tell me that. Right, right. And if you try to tell me that, I am going to show you that I can do what you say I can't do. As a matter of fact, I can probably do it better than you. And mm -hmm. I can move myself around and move up. And mm -hmm. this is how I've been doing. And the thing is, is in my old agency, I created career ladders. Mm -hmm. 
people wanted to hire peers at the Medicaid. The Medicaid, re- for the Medicaid reimbursable program, right? Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. when they redid it over, they made peer specialists Medicaid reimbursable. All of a sudden, every behavioral health agency in the city wanted to hire a peer because it's Medicaid reimbursable. But there was never much thought put into that. So let me hire a peer. Let me have them do some peer work. But guess what? Five, maybe six years from now, they're still a peer. Like, I wasn't okay with that. I wasn't okay with that. So the first time I spoke up about that, I built a volunteer coalition called the Peer Workforce Coalition, where we were determined to build the peer workforce. So that means we had to talk to employers. We had to advocate. We had to look at organizational culture and say, well, if you want to hire a peer, have you talked to people within your organization about stigma, mm-hmm. about un- unconscious bias? Yep. What are the job duties you want a peer to do? Is it the same as your case managers? Then you need to pay the peer the same as your case managers. And what about yep. a career ladder? What about a yes. Career? Why yes. does this person have to work for five years and still be appear specialist, Here. but not move up. I yeah. started working at the New York City Criminal Justice Agency in 2019, completely validated me, gave me space, stood back and let me work. I hired two peers, I hired four peers, I hired eight peers. Then I built a career ladder. So you can come into my agency now as a peer specialist, you can be promoted to a senior peer. You can be promoted to a peer coordinator. You can be promoted to the manager of peer services. Hey, my job, you can have my job as senior manager of peer services. But I built this mechanism there because we're just like everyone else. We deserve a career ladder. We deserve That's to right. look forward to doing some bigger and better things. Yeah. Give us that. That's why I love, like when I was running a peer run organization to think about like the entry points, also thought of exit points that sometimes people can go up and out and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, to be able to have that happen with intention and pride. So I could say, yes, we had X number of people leave because they became, you know, directors or they became, um, you know, some other position, social workers, right. Social workers or they, right, right, right. So it was really, really, you know, with intention thinking about, the, the role of, not just the role of peers, but the careers and what career do you want to have? Where do you want to go? And it can be outside exactly. of the peer workforce. And I said to myself, I only wanted to be there as the um, executive director, was executive director, CEO. I said, you know, I don't want to be here any more than seven years mm-hmm. because I need to have a succession plan. So I'm building mm-hmm. up sort of the next group of people that will come in and take the organization to that next level. Mm -hmm. So um, I do think that's something that, you know, we always have to think about and also not just think about, but have to push on, right? Because, you know, when you're building Medicaid, Medicaid sets the the criteria for who does the supervision. And Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, sometimes, um, you know, uh, systems have interpreted that fairly narrowly, meaning it has to be like a qualified mental health provider. But Mm -hmm. what does the state say is a qualified mental health provider? Mm -hmm. And if peers aren't in there, then you need to put peers in there um, so that they're considered a qualified mental health 
provider because it doesn't exactly. say certified. It doesn't say licensed. It says exactly. qualified, right? So what will qualify you to be sort of this qualified, you know, pr- provider and what training do you need to be mm-hmm. a supervisor? So that creates that, you know, mm-hmm. these, these levels. So, and I was going to say something else too, that I really love how, you know, each part of your journey is informing that next step. And the intention, what you're even thinking about, is this a good fit? Does this, um, you know, is this a good match for my, my values and me as a person mm-hmm. and hearing you talk about, like, if you're not productive, then, then that's a trigger for you. I'm not doing anything. Yeah. What you doing? I'm exactly like that. If I'm not busy, if I'm not productive, then it's like, okay, wait, what's no, this is not, that's not healthy for I, me. I get bored and, and, I haven't said these words in years, but when I get bored, the next thing I say is, I wonder what's happening on the block. No, we ain't going there. Girl, you got, you got a new block. Your, your block is the peer block. You got Girl, this big we, old peer block. Not, You're doing this work now. Yeah, it's not going there. Done. I have moved up. Yes. I'm now an executive director. But guess what? My story doesn't end here. And who knows what might happen. But right now I'm building a New York City Justice Peer Initiative. Um, we have a grant. Um, we were able to hire an executive director who is me. We have a grant to build a workforce. I am intentional mm-hmm. on building a workforce of people who are criminal justice impacted and training them to be a justice peer. Not only that, I have a second goal of technical assistance. I'm going to speak to these agencies and I'm going to help them work out their processes where they can welcome and hire a justice peer within their ranks. And a side piece to that is that in New York City, there are several organizations that work in re-entry and they all hire people who are criminal justice impacted. I'm not trying to go in there and change that. But what I wanna do is I wanna standardize that. I don't wanna make Mm -hmm. this criteria certified on a New York state level so that yes, we too will become Medicaid reimbursable, just like certified peer specialists, just like certified recovery peer advocates. At the end of the day, in order to reform the criminal justice system, you need innovation. You cannot keep doing the same things that end up with nothing. You gotta think outside the box and, and taking the voices and talents of those with lived experience. I mean, the Credible Messengers, they have it already. And Mm -hmm. we're cousins, close cousins to Credible Messengers and Violence Interrupters because we do what we do by our lived experiences. But just like there is a certification process, I need there to be a certification process for my justice peers too. So Mm -hmm. within a week, I starting this position thinking that this is something that is really based in New York City. Within a week, OMH issued an RFP for some specialty areas of peer support. And number one was justice and forensic peer. Now, I don't like the word forensic. When we talk about what are we going to call this, forensic to me speaks of hospitalization and locked doors. Justice mm-hmm. is what I like. There are other states that call them re-entry peers. I didn't want the mm-hmm. word re-entry because, again, you're labeling us and putting us in a box like we're only beneficial at the re-entry stage. No, we mm-hmm. are beneficial from the community 
on up to re-entry and community supervision. So right. OMH has issued this RFP or this request for letters of interest. Now, what was a citywide initiative has now become like a statewide initiative. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Mm-hmm. I'm not finished. I wrote a journal article for the Journal of Women in Criminal Justice, and the title was, Where Are All My Directly Impacted Women Leaders? And then I talked about how, first of all, you want to say formally impacted, and I said, no, there's nothing formally about this. Once you are tarred by the brush of the criminal justice system, you are forever tarred. So I'm not formally. Mm. But I said, where are we? We're definitely at the grassroots community-based organization level. We are. We're here. Mm -hmm. But we need to push up and out. Where are we Mm -hmm. at the city and local government level? Where are we? And then looking at the federal level, where are we? Those of us who have this lived experience, those of us who are doing work based on our lived experiences. I asked the question, where are we? And then I answered the question, oh, I'm right here. Here I am. And I'm coming. Right. Because I'm not stopping here. It's not just about the city. And it's not just about the state. Any place that issues policies and directives about the criminal justice system that directly involves people who are caught up in a criminal justice system should have someone who has that has been vital in lived experiences. They are the subject matter experts. This, this is, this is like, this is a thing that um, I was just at a meeting this past week and it was like two of us who were out. So I'm just going to say it that way out with our lived experience, meaning being very intentional about letting people know again at the appropriate time. It's not like, hi, I'm Kara Smyrick and I have lived experience. Like, no, that is not no. really how it works. Yeah, yeah. At least for me, it's like there, there's something that comes up where it's like, okay, now I can say it with intention when I'm giving an example of something. So, you know, I, I really had to say that the meeting really was about, you know, what things need to happen to uh, do, let's say mental health reform. I'll just use that term. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you can't reform the system without the people who are going to be the users of that particular mm-hmm. system. Directly reform. impacted. That's right. Reform the system. If you haven't heard from the people what was what's good, bad, ugly, pretty about what's existing now, there may be some good things, there may be some bad things, but mm-hmm. feel sometimes that it's always based on, oh, here's the survey that we filled out versus hearing from our own mouths, kind of like what went well, what didn't go well, what we would like to see, what could be Mm -hmm. different. Um, You know, especially when we're looking at this new 988 number and criminal, um, I'm sorry, crisis uh, system reform. It's kind of like, wow, can we talk about that in a way that says, what could we be doing massively differently such Mm -hmm. that our lives aren't thought as always circling around crisis, that everything Uh is around crisis. Like my life is around my life. My life isn't around crisis. I don't plan my life around crisis. I plan my life around my life. Right. And so, um, and everything doesn't happen in system. People live in community. Mm. So, so where are we like shoring up our community such that if I get an apartment, maybe I can't get an apartment, you know, because Mm -hmm. of, you know, especially if it's like section eight or something like that, Mm -hmm. that these are things that you don't know unless you talk to the person who's living that experience um, so that you're like, 
um, as I say, sort of pulling on the right policy lever, um, mm-hmm. you know, pulling that right policy string, hitting that right, you know, a political organization or that federal organization. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're like just going to the Department of Mental Health thing. It's the Department of Mental Health. They're the ones who are the problem. They need to fix this. They need to fix that. And it's like, no, actually that happened at CMS and CMS told the Department of Mental Health what exactly. to do or told the state what to do. And then the state developed the policy. Yeah. So maybe the policy is happening someplace completely different. Yes. So and really, why not start um, from the top down instead of from right. the bottom I, up? So I, I, and I was saying, you know, no, don't go back to the block. You got a home right here. You got a, a peer community, a, mm-hmm. you know, a bunch of folks who, who are your community, but um, I, I understand the poll as well. So if you had like one piece of wisdom, and I say nugget, the nugget, the wisdom uh, that you want to leave folks with, what would that be? It would simply be, we are the subject matter experts in the room. Please use us as you craft and build policy, use us. And then it will become something that is for us, by us. And these policy recommendations will work. They will stick because we've been there and we've done that. We've walked through it. We know what works and what doesn't work. Not some faceless suit with a PhD who just did a little bit of research. And I say that with tongue in cheek because I'm a budding researcher. But again, same principle. How can you build research for my community and you don't invite someone from my community and to build the research? Same principle. Same principle. Nothing without us. Nothing That's right. for Nothing us. Nothing about us. Yeah, without us. Not a thing. It's a new day. It's a new age. Mm-hmm. We ain't going nowhere. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I cannot thank you enough. I don't have anything to follow up on that. Nothing about us without us. We're the, we're the experts. Got the lived experience. Bring it on. Bring it on. Bring it on. So thank you. Thank you so much. Um, you, Skip, are an unapologetically Black unicorn. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad we've had this opportunity to chat. And thank you for, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this. And I use the word unapologetically all the time. So you're my sister because we like that same word. Thank you for that. All right. So for all of our listeners, make sure to uh, listen in, to, to share. People need to hear this message. Also, uh, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so that other people can also get access to the wonderful guests that we have. And we will hear uh, we will hear you. Yeah, we will hear you because we're not going to see you, but we will hear you <laughs> on Unapologetically Black Unicorns next week. Thanks so much.